Donald Trump has already started his attacks, calling Kamala, quote, nasty, whining about how she is, quote, mean to his appointees. <laughs> it's no surprise, because whining is what Donald Trump does best, better than any president in American history. I don't know. He's also pretty good at killing people, destroying the economy, destroying the planet. I could go on. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why? I got the feeling that something ain't right. Nowadays. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire, on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. Congratulations on running a safe election, I hope, up there in uh, Minneapolis yesterday. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Brad Blog. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, well, it was Election Day on Tuesday in five states. Count them. Minneapolis, Wisconsin, Vermont, Connecticut, and Georgia. And we will discuss some of the noteworthy results from those races with the delightfully irascible. (laughs) Is that a nice way to... That that is a a very diplomatic way to to put it. Well, I don't mean it diplomatic. I I actually mean it somewhat as a compliment somehow. (laughs) The delightfully... Yes, There you go. Howie Klein, our friend uh, from the uh, Progressive Down with Tyranny blog. He'll be joining us shortly as we've been checking in with him on the various uh, noteworthy U.S. House races primary races and more as this long primary season winds down. We'll get uh, his thoughts uh, also on Joe Biden's uh, vice presidential pick, Kamala Harris, along with uh, news on some contentious House races, including in Minneapolis, uh, Elon Omar's race in Minnesota, and a GOP racist and conspiracy theorist on the ballot in Georgia, but uh, speaking of Georgia, yesterday we, re- we reported on some of the early reported problems at the polling place in, of course, Georgia. And we've got, surprise, some more news on that front today. Who could have seen <laughs> that coming, Desi Doyen? Oh, from about 3,000 3, miles away. Yeah, just as we predicted there would be likely yesterday. Well, today, Georgia's primary runoffs 
concluded Tuesday after an election day where voting was quick and easy for most voters, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They describe it as a sharp contrast to a rough primary that kept some people in line for hours. But their uh, article here doesn't talk about how well things went. The headline is polls close in Georgia runoffs with short lines, but a few. Can you guess, Desi? Glitches? Yes, a few <laughs> glitches. They always use that. It's always a glitch, a hiccup, a snag, a snafu. Anyway, the lower turnout runoff on Tuesday, along with better prepared poll workers, they say, led to voters generally waiting no more than 10 minutes. That's good. But there were still what they describe as scattered problems on Tuesday in locations where poll workers had difficulties operating new voting equipment. Now, I love how it's it's the poll workers fault. The poll workers had difficulties operating the new voting equipment. It's not uh, the fault of the idiot election officials, like specifically the state's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who forced all of the counties, all of the counties across the state of Georgia to use these new unverifiable Rube Goldberg computer voting systems, which require a separate computer to check in voters to vote, to make an access card in order to vote, Another one to fill out a ballot on a touchscreen, another computer to scan the ballot, and then yet another computer to add all of the other computers' totals together. And all of those computers ain't cheap. They ain't cheap, and they don't work. But sure, uh, blame the poll workers who volunteered to risk their lives in the middle of a pandemic to help people try and cast their vote. Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In any event, so uh, as to the glitches, well, a judge I'm ordered... I'm sorry, you mean the failures. Uh, yeah, I do mean the failures, yes. <laughs> I'm being ironic. A judge ordered all voting locations, all voting locations in Floyd County, that's about an hour northwest of Atlanta, to be held open two additional hours until 9 p.m. because election officials said poll workers... Their access cards didn't work and they couldn't start voting machines. So the access cards that they're given uh, to essentially to fire up the machines to start the day, those didn't work. Uh, and I guess somehow that's the poll workers fault. I don't know. In uh, Macon Bibb County, uh, problems with voter check in tablets prevented two polling places from opening. We talked a little bit about that yesterday and about the fact that uh, all of these access cards that voters are given to start the voting process on the machines themselves. None of those uh, cards were actually working. Elections, uh, they write, will be more strained in November's presidential election. Well, they're correct in noting that when turnout is expected to exceed five million voters in Georgia, that would be a record. And uh, it's going to be especially uh, difficult in November, as we reported yesterday that the Secretary of State Raffensperger, who smartly actually sent vote by mail applications to all registered voters, before the primary, well, that worked very well, but he has decided to not do that before the much larger turnout general election in the battleground state that many believe could flip to Democratic for the first time in years this November. Uh, he won't be doing that. He won't be sending out applications to every registered voter 
before the presidential election, even though the turnout is expected to be much higher and even though the coronavirus epidemic that led him to do that in the first place is much worse in Georgia than it was back in June uh, when they, for the uh, first part of the Georgia uh, primary. So he won't be doing that for the presidential election where there's not just the presidential election, but there's also two vulnerable Republican U.S. Senate seats on the ballot in Georgia this year. Don't forget two of them, one regular U.S. Senate election, the other a special U.S. Senate election. Some voters in Georgia also said that they never received the absentee ballots that they requested. That problem uh, forced them to vote in person on Tuesday or otherwise choose to not risk their lives by voting in person, but to lose their vote instead. Other voters experienced delays when poll workers had trouble operating voter check-in computers and voting machines. Sound like it went well, doesn't it? <laughs> Except for a couple of glitches and hiccups. Alex Gilmer, a voter at Israel Baptist Church in Kirkwood, said she waited over an hour and a half on Tuesday morning. Oh, yeah, that went well. The polling place lacked voter access cards, so they didn't even have them at all. Never mind whether they worked or not. They didn't even have them. The polling place lacked voter access cards, and when they finally arrived, some of them did not work because they appeared to be coded with a salty material, she said. I know, don't look at me. I have no idea. Uh, then when the poll workers tried to give Gilmer an emergency paper ballot, well, guess what? They didn't have a key to unlock the cabinet uh, where they were stored. So it all went very well. We're very, all, overall very well. Just a few glitches. Gilmer uh, said, uh, we care enough to vote. I'd like the system to care for us, too. People have to work. They can't wait in line all day. People will walk out or get discouraged. Which, of course, I suspect is the point. Hershey Milner, a graduate student at Georgia State University, uh, said, I'm worried about November. After voting at Fanplex across from the old Atlanta Braves Stadium in downtown Atlanta, Hershey said, I had requested an absentee ballot, but didn't get it. It's concerning to me. Well, it should be concerning to you, Hershey. We uh, should all be concerned right now, and we should all be taking actions right now to mitigate those concerns however we can. Make sure you are registered to vote, that you haven't been knocked off the polling list, even though you uh, may think you're already registered. Make sure you're registered at the correct address so that you actually get mailings for uh, absentee ballot requests or absentee ballots themselves in states where the Secretary of State is kind enough to send you that. Uh, make sure you apply for a vote-by-mail ballot if you are allowed to, and do that right now. Do that right now. Make sure you know if you're allowed to drop that ballot off in person at a polling place or at the county headquarters or at a secure drop box in order to avoid the U.S. Postal Service mail slowdowns, which Donald Trump's new Postmaster General has now implemented. Meanwhile, where the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia is hoping to help Donald Trump with these uh, new procedures and to help those two GOP U.S. Senate candidates on the ballot by trying to curb vote-by-mail voting any way that he can by not sending out applications, as he successfully did in the primaries... Uh, even with a record 5 million expected to vote in Georgia, 
uh, and in the bargain, of course, face long lines, as usual, in the uh, Democratic-leaning areas, of course. Kentucky's Secretary of State, where Mitch McConnell is facing a challenge from a former fighter pilot, Amy McGrath, in November. Well, Kentucky is hoping to do the same thing, it now appears. As the Louisville Courier-Journal reports today, despite rave reviews, Secretary of State Michael Adams does not want Kentucky to handle its general election the same way that it handled its June primary, recommending strict limits on who will be allowed to mail in their ballot at all this fall. Adams told the Courier-Journal the preliminary plan that he submitted this week to Governor Andy Beshear does not recommend no-excuse absentee voting by mail. The method that roughly 75 percent of the more than one million Kentucky voters successfully used in the primary this summer. Kentucky's primary election, believe it or not, was widely praised for its high turnout and relatively trouble free process during the heart of the coronavirus pandemic in midsummer. And Adams himself, a Republican Secretary of State uh, Adams himself hailed it as a success. Therefore, he now wants to undermine that success before November, of course. But the paper uh, notes that his new plan likely will put him at odds with Democratic Governor Andy Bashir, who, ha- who said that he thinks Kentuckians should be able to cast absentee ballots by mail without needing a specific excuse for the November 3rd presidential election. Kentucky did allow no excuse mail-in primary voting as part of a bipartisan plan that Adams and Bashir had forged during the early weeks of the coronavirus pandemic. Adams said on Tuesday of uh, why he's now suggesting a different approach. Well, quote, it's not so much an ideological concern. It's more of a practical concern. Simply put, he thinks the Commonwealth cannot handle the expected crush of mail ballots that uh, no-excuse absentee voting would bring this November. He indicated it would be more manageable if only 33% to 40% of voters cast ballots by mail in November. Well, that's an oddly specific number, isn't it? 33% to 40%. That would be more manageable. Yeah, that almost matches the number of people who are Trump supporters in the United States. Overall, 30%. There's that. 33%. A weird coincidence, I'm sure. Just weird. I don't know. Anyway, Adams has considered uh, what to do about the upcoming election uh, with COVID-19 cases in Kentucky continuing to spike throughout the summer to levels that surpass those from June. So if it was good to have uh, everyone stay away from the polls in June, why, now that the COVID crisis is worse in the bluegrass state, why is he trying to send voters to the polls? Or maybe he's not trying to send them to the polls. Maybe he's hoping they will stay home. Bashir recently said of no excuse absentee voting, the Democratic governor, why would we back off of it? Adding the pandemic is more dangerous now than it was earlier this year. He's right. Adams has not released this full draft plan that he sent to Bashir. He told the Courier Journal it recommends a, quote, generous absentee voting policy that would let people request a mail in ballot if their age or a pre existing health condition makes them more vulnerable to COVID. Okay. 
Anyone, he says, who lives with who lives with uh, at-risk individuals or who works in the healthcare field, they would also be able to request mail-in ballots under his preliminary plan. Okay, he says, my goal here is to protect people who are vulnerable based on age or health conditions. They may not be literally unable to vote in person, but they shouldn't because of their age or health status. And I leave that to the voter to make that sort of subjective decision. All right. Well, then why not just use the same no excuse rule that you used in June and leave it to the voter to make that sort of subjective decision of whether they feel safe or not safe enough to go vote at the polling place? Why make voters feel that they could be charged with breaking the law if they don't meet some mystery condition that allows them to legally ask for a mail in ballot? Adams is also calling for an expansion of in-person early voting, uh, expressing confidence the counties will significantly expand the number of voting locations slashed in the primary election because of COVID concerns and the lack of availability of poll workers. Adams' reasoning for limiting mail-in voting in November echoed his testimony before a legislative committee two weeks ago when he said county clerks and post offices would not be able to handle the increased volume of absentee ballots for the presidential election. They and I are concerned that going from 750,000 absentee ballots to 1.8 million or more would overload and crash our system, Adams told lawmakers in July. Okay, but if you're willing to invest in expanding early in-person voting, and uh, more polling places, why not invest in expanded vote-by-mail services to handle the expected and necessary crush, Mr. Secretary? Another change uh, he would make would uh, be to require absentee ballots to arrive by, by Election Day instead of counting any ballots that are postmarked by that date. The uh, latter approach was used, again, in the June primary, worked well, though it took about a week for the results to be determined. So there's the tell. Uh, he claims that he's concerned about the ability of local election officials and the post office to handle the crush of mail ballots. And yet he wants to make it harder to handle the ballots by preventing any ballots that don't arrive by Election Day, by making those invalid. Call me cynical, but I think I smell a great big, huge, uh, stinky Kentucky rat here. Indeed. And also, those would be perfectly legitimate legal ballots that he would just toss out as invalid because he's suddenly changing the rules of what would be acceptable. Well, he hopes to. I'm unclear at this point. I hope to learn more. I'm unclear of uh, how this needs to be worked out. Who has the final say here? Does Governor Bashir? Uh, the only Democrat holding a statewide office, does he have the final say? Can he veto some of this stuff? Uh, I don't know. But uh, clearly there is an effort underway in Georgia, in Kentucky, and now also in Ohio. Ohio's Republican Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, announced on Wednesday that the state is now barring county boards of elections from offering more than one drop box for completed absentee ballots this November. What? Yeah. This is in the swing state of Ohio, where according to the latest Real Clear Politics polling average, Joe Biden currently leads Donald Trump by 2.3 points. 
but where the latest poll from CBS uh, and YouGov, I think it was, uh, in late July puts Donald Trump over Joe Biden in the Buckeye state by just one point. Essentially, it is a tie at this point within the margins of error either way. And, of course, the Ohio Republican Secretary of State wants to make it harder to deliver vote-by-mail ballots on time. Three weeks ago, LaRose asked Ohio General Attorney General Dave Yost, also a Republican, for a legal opinion on whether extra ballot drop boxes were allowed under state law. LaRose said on Wednesday that he has yet to receive the opinion from the attorney general, but claimed that it has just become too late now to make changes on how Ohio will administer this year's presidential election. So it's too late, apparently, to put up secure drop boxes for people to deposit their absentee mail-in ballot into? Two and a half months before the election is too late? Yeah, yeah. 83 days to be exact, but who's counting? Uh, and we're talking is we're talking about putting up secure boxes. That's it. LaRose announced uh, on a, at a Wednesday news conference. Uh, he said what I decided was instead of waiting for continued legal analysis was to move forward to say we are not going to allow additional drop boxes for this election with under three months to go until Election Day. I don't think it's time to change the way we have done things here in Ohio and add new drop boxes and questions about the validity of that. Early voting in Ohio begins October 6. The election is November 3rd, by the way, just in case you're told it's a different date, as will soon be happening, I'm sure, in many places. Uh, voters in Ohio uh, do not, unlike uh, what they're trying to do in Kentucky, voters in Ohio do not need to have an excuse to request an absentee ballot. And under the Federal CARES Act, each of Ohio's 88 counties are required to offer a secure drop box for completed ballots and ballot request forms uh, outside of their Board of Elections headquarters. So if you can get to the County Board of Elections headquarters in Ohio, please do go there to drop off your absentee ballot if that's how you choose to vote rather than rely this year on the U.S. Postal Service, which is being purposely undermined by Donald Trump, to, yes, try to steal this election if he can. Please don't let him. The Ohio uh, Democratic chair, David Pepper, said on Twitter that uh, this has nothing to do with the legislature, who LaRose likes to blame for everything he doesn't want to do, claiming, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if it's uh, if I can do this by law. Pepper says this is LaRose's decision to artificially limit drop boxes to one per county. It's a terrible decision, totally disregarding voter safety, he added. LaRose argued that adding the extra drop boxes Well, while he doesn't know for sure that it's illegal, it would invite lawsuits. And it probably would, just like the one that the Trump campaign filed against Pennsylvania in late June when they said that uh, mail ballot drop boxes were unconstitutional, even though they used them successfully in the June 2nd primary election uh, in Pennsylvania. And uh, that lawsuit asks a federal court to bar drop boxes in November. 
It says defendants have uh, sacrificed the sanctity of in-person voting at the altar of unmonitored mail-in voting and have exponentially enhanced the threat that fraudulent or otherwise ineligible ballots will be cast and counted in the forthcoming general election, according to the lawsuit that was filed in June uh, for the Western uh, in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of uh, Pennsylvania. The lawsuit says that mail ballot drop boxes violate the state and federal constitutions because elections officials are making decisions outside of what the law allows, taking the power to make to make law away from the legislature. The suit also argues that uh, state and county election officials set up different rules and policies across the state, which means there's a patchwork system that violates constitutional guarantees of equal protection, which, by the way, is ridiculous because, as is, there is already a patchwork of systems, different types of voting systems used across uh, the state of Pennsylvania. Whether they add drop boxes to it or not is it's just a ridiculous lawsuit. And so that's what Ohio is is pretending. Oh, we wish to avoid. In fact, uh, the lawsuit is a series uh, the latest in a series of legal challenges by Republicans to electoral systems in Pennsylvania and elsewhere as they try to restrict voting any way that they can. And by the way, as Democrats also file lawsuits all over the country to try and expand the franchise and make it easier for Americans to vote, especially during a pandemic. Well, we can't have that. Of course, on the way to November 3rd, uh, states are still holding primary elections for members of Congress and for both uh, state and local legislators. Let's uh, take a quick break here and we will come back with uh, Howie Klein for some thoughts on Tuesday's primaries in five different states and on his thoughts about Joe Biden's selection of Kamala Harris for his price, uh, vice presidential running mate. That and more is ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. I think some of these uh, Republicans might like to burn down the U.S. House at this point. Uh, it was another big state primary election day in the U.S. on Tuesday in five states, though you might not have noticed if you didn't live in one of them, or maybe even if you did, Given the decision by Joe Biden to name Kamala Harris as his veep on Tuesday, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Voters went to the polls or mail ballots in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Georgia, Vermont, and Connecticut, which held the final pre presidential primary of the 2020 season. And you will be shocked to learn that while mail-in ballots postmarked in Connecticut by August 11 will still be counted if they come in by uh, this Thursday, 
It looks like Joe Biden will, in fact, be named the winner of that contest, receiving, uh, as of now, 84.5% of the vote, barely edging out Bernie Sanders, who reportedly tallied just under 12%, according to the unofficial results. <laughs> of uh, slightly more interest were several congressional primaries, including a Democratic contest in Minnesota's very Democratic 5th Congressional District, and another, a Republican primary runoff in Georgia in its very Republican 14th district, both of which we will speak about with my guest momentarily. There was also an interesting Republican congressional primary in Connecticut's 2nd district, where the two candidates, Justin Anderson and Thomas Gilmer, are, when I last checked about a half hour ago, separated by... Just eight votes out of about 18,000 cast. So, yes, every vote counts or should. This race, however, is made even more interesting in that one of the Republican candidates, Thomas Gilmer, was arrested Monday night in connection with a, quote, possible domestic assault, according to police. He ended his campaign but could still win a spot on the November ballot unless Republican Justin Anderson's current eight-vote lead holds up. But possible domestic assault may be the least of the concerns about some of the Republican candidates on the ballot this year, or as in Georgia and North Carolina specifically, uh, where they appear to be heading to D.C. next year after winning their primaries. Here to talk about all of this and more as we grind our way through the end of the long primary season with, by the way, still a few more weeks to go, uh, is once again the great Howie Klein, who we have been checking in with for analysis from a progressive point of view following uh, this run of late-season contests. Howie is the founder of the longtime progressive blog DownWithTyranny.com. He's also co-founder of the Blue America PAC, dedicated to raising small-dollar donations to help elect progressives to office. He's um, also the man who seems to know more about congressional campaign politics than any human should be allowed to. Howie Klein, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> uh, we, before we get to uh, Tuesday's results uh, or what we know of them, uh, we were short on time last time, last week, I think it was, when we spoke. Uh, so I didn't get the chance to ask who you wanted to see Joe Biden pick as his VP and who you thought or feared that he would actually choose. So now that we know the answer is Kamala Harris, uh, who had you been hoping for and what are your thoughts on the selection of Harris by Joe Biden, Howie? Uh, well, I wanted uh, him to pick uh, Elizabeth Warren. I didn't think there was any chance that that would happen. Mm -hmm. I knew from internal debate that it, he, it was always between Kamala Harris and uh, Susan Rice and Tammy Duckworth, that those were the three that were really being taken seriously mm -hmm. inside the campaign, and there was never really any chance anyone else would actually get the uh, get it, including not Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. In terms of Kamala Harris, I'm not a fan. I never voted for her when she ran for Attorney General of California, ever. I never voted for her when she ran for Senate. I don't think highly of her, and 
don't plan to have a vote for her for anything. Well, uh, your progressive partner at Blue America PAC uh, yesterday on the show, Heather uh, Digby Parton, said that she believed that the left would be able to, quote, put aside their differences to get behind the ticket before, quote, going to fight tooth and nail about the things that we care about the moment after Biden is sworn in. Uh, that's if he is sworn in. Do you share Digby's assessment of the progressive <coughs> left here? Absolutely share Digby's assessment. She's right. That's what's going to happen. But I'm the outlier who will not uh, ever vote for Joe Biden. Circumstance. Uh, you want? Yeah, you broke up there a little bit. You will not vote for Joe Biden under any circumstance. You said correct. Now. Let me ask you about that, because you mentioned that last week as well. Do you not think with the attempts, with all of the attempts that Donald Trump is clearly making and Republicans are clearly making to assault democracy, to steal this election, whether they have to use the U.S. Postal Service to do it? Don't you think there's any uh, a, a good cause for Democrats to run up the score, even in states like California, in the event that this the whole thing gets thrown to the House of Representatives so the Democrats can say, look, Joe Biden won by 10 million votes this time over Trump. You can't uh, you throw the election to him in the U.S. House. I think he'll win by more than 10 million votes. But I agree that, yes, I agree with that. I'll, I will even encourage that. I'll, I'll never uh, tell anybody not to vote for Joe Biden. It's not that I've, I'd never, you know, I would never do that. Why would I? I'm just telling you, you ask me, mm -hmm. I, know who, I know who these people are, yeah. and I, there's nothing that would make me vote for them. I, I, just before you called um, a friend of mine, Steve Lau, formerly of the uh, Ocean Blue, mm -hmm. a band I love, uh, and, and he, his face stuff pops up on my Facebook page. And just before you called, something popped up by him, and it was it was a quote from Joe uh, from oh what's his name Sidaris the writer Sidaris David Sidaris David Sidaris yeah yeah and and he he was like you know putting down people who were undecided about who to vote for in the election mm -hmm. I'm not undecided I've decided that uh, you know not to vote for either of those people but he was putting down people who were undecided and what he said was it's like you're on an airplane. And the uh, stewardess comes up, is, is go, coming up, and you, the tray is, the, uh, the card is right next to your seat. And she said, would you like some of this chicken? Or would you like some of this uh, nice steamy plate of poop with part of, uh, <laughs> pieces of glass stuck into it? Uh -huh. And you have to make a decision. And how could somebody be undecided? I agree with that. I totally agree. Okay. So, but you're still not going to vote for the chicken. No, I just said that I... I uh, I know who Joe Biden is, and I know who Kamala Harris is, and I'm not going to vote for them. Okay. It, it, now, you know, I used to be able to say with a straight face that, uh, because I believed it, that if I lived in Florida or Ohio mm -hmm. or one of the other swing states, I still wouldn't vote for Joe Biden. And, and, and now when I think about that really deeply, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm less certain. Now, there's no ch way I'm going to ever know, because I don't live in one of those states. And you never know what you're going to really do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unless you do, <laughs> and I don't. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'd like to think that I, I wouldn't even if I lived in, in a state like Florida. But I don't live in Florida. I live in California. He doesn't need my vote. He doesn't need my vote to get to his $10 million. I'm not campaigning against him. 
in fact, I would prefer not to even be having this conversation. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's move on then, Howie, uh, under the very speculative notion that Biden and Harris actually do win. Uh, there'll be an open seat in California. Anybody you would uh, an open U.S. Senate seat in California. Anyone you would like to see Newsom pick or anybody that you fear he will pick? I, I actually think Newsom is I don't like him at all either, by the way. <laughs> I would never vote for him. Okay. But I don't think he's going to make a bad pick. I think he'll, there's, a, there's a really good, solid bench of people. And I'm guessing what his strategy is on this. And it's going to be, you know, what's good for Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. He's not going to pick based on looking for somebody who's conservative as he is or corporate as he is. That's not what it's about. He's going to pick someone who's going to be a very, very popular choice and that will reflect glory on him. That, that, that's what I think he'll do. And Well, I uh, read your article on this, and it ends with the speculation that Newsom may pick California Secretary of State Alex Padilla. He may, but and, I mean, I think what he's going to do is yeah. lo- he's looking for a Hispanic. Padilla is a Hispanic Secretary mm-hmm. of State of this, of this state, and he and Newsom are friends. They like each other. Newsom respects him, admires him, but... How well do the, you know, the new machines are terrible? How well is this election going to run? If Newsom feels there's going to be any blowback by picking his pal, he won't go there. Because there are other really good Hispanic, higher up elected officials Mm -hmm. who he can go to comfortably all right i just want to i I just want to respond to one point you made at the end of that particular article when you were talking about padilla uh and you said the new voting machines in los angeles sure suck bad but i don't know for certain if that's padilla's fault or not i think it is i want to tell you it is yeah it absolutely is so you can uh, say that with confidence next time you look at uh, padilla's choice i think he would be i will a disastrous choice that's just me i'll probably add that to my uh Please do. Please to my, do. My, uh, to my post. Uh, no, I, I, of, the, of the three high, I mean, there are a lot of really good Hispanic candidates that he could go to. But I, I think he's going to wind up going to a Hispanic candidate. I'm hearing already that Hilda Solis is someone who he may, he hmm. may go to. Mm-hmm. She's certainly someone who Biden likes, for example. They work together. She was, mm-hmm. you know, she has a really good a good life story. Okay, well, how, how, we'll have time to get to that in the future, I think, I hope. Okay. I, I don't want to run out of time here before we get to actually <laughs> the elections from Tuesday. So let's go to Minnesota. I know that uh, there, that was really uh, the only one race on Tuesday that you were watching particularly closely, I think. Uh, that's the Democratic primary in Minnesota's 5th Congressional District between freshman Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, uh, the first Somali-American, one of uh, two of the first Muslim women elected to Congress uh, back in 2018. She was facing a pretty serious challenge from Democrat Anton Melton Mew, I think is how you say his name. Not really. Well, it was a well, hang on, Howie. It was a well. Challenge wasn't from him. Who is he? Nobody. No one ever heard of him. All right, hang on. It was a well, (laughs) hang on. It was a well-funded challenge. Let me put it that way. They both had this about the same amount of money, but it looks like he lost pretty handily to Omar by about 18 points as of now, leading me to the question, Howie, what the hell was that all about? It was APAC. That's what it was about. APAC, that's who, who challenged her, not him. Who is he? He, doesn't, he? he just appeared out of nowhere. He just popped up. He was the APAC candidate. She ran, or I should say APAC ran against her. Mm-hmm. They do this. They've been doing it for decades. If a black Democrat mm-hmm. isn't 
doesn't bow down and kiss Israel's ass, they go after them. <laughs> and they've destroyed several uh, members of Congress. They've destroyed their careers. Cynthia McKinney, of course, is one that I'm sure you know about. Mm -hmm. Another one in Alabama they did the same thing to. And now they tried to do it to her as well. They would have tried to do it to Rashida, to Rashida Tlaib mm -hmm. in Detroit, uh, and they were going to until they realized that her opponent was also not an Israel fan, so they just sat that one out. But they put a lot of money, several million dollars, into campaigning against her. They did an independent, they created a, a super PAC and did an independent expenditure uh, against uh, against Ilhan, and it are, didn't work. Are, are these guys, uh, these APAC folks, uh, who are putting all that money? Are they? Can they even be considered Democrats? Are, I mean, it seems oh. it seems to me they're letting Fox News and purposely misinterpreted comments be used uh, to ridiculously label Ilhan Omar uh, some kind of anti-Semite. Semite. I'm Jewish. Bernie Sanders, who endorsed her as Jewish, I think you may be Jewish. Are you concerned about her anti-Semitism? No, there's no anti-Semitism in her, not any at all. I, I've known her long before she was a member of Congress. She was, uh, you know, as you know, mm -hmm. I'm active in, in the organization People for the American Way, mm -hmm. a member of the young elected officials when she was in the state legislature. I've admired her for many, many years. Although my, my, I come from a Jewish family, many people at People for the American Way on the board are also Jewish. No one seemed to have ever detected any anti-Semitism <laughs> in this woman. Uh, of course, Fox, on the other hand, they, that's what they decided, and Trump has decided. Yeah. They Trump could... would just uh, appointed a, a neo-Nazi to be the ambassador to Germany, yeah. uh, a, and will probably be forced to uh, to withdraw that. I mean, you, you remember that whole thing about uh, Adelson and him speaking uh, the other day, and what a big uh, production that... Um, the media made of that? But, uh, yeah, that he was speaking to uh, Adelson, the Republican funder, and uh, he, he was apparently sharp with Adelson because Adelson wasn't giving him enough money or something? Ah, but there was something else. Oh. Adelson, who's an Israeli-American, he's mm -hmm. really an Israeli, but he's an Israeli-American, mm -hmm. and owns the biggest newspaper in Israel. Well, every newspaper in Israel ran a story that day, and the story was about the Nazi that Trump appointed to be the ambassador to Germany, and Israel went crazy. That's what Adelson and Trump were fighting about on the phone. Not one media outlet that I saw mentioned it, and I looked. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I know it's it's all madness. If you, I mean, they could sure s sniff out anti-Semites. They think amongst Democrats, but among their own party, they don't seem to notice it at all. Which brings us to Georgia. Uh, you know, if they were, if they were, and North Carolina, uh, and, well, we'll get there in a second. So, uh, you think they'd be far more concerned about what happened on Tuesday in Georgia's 14th congressional district, where a proud QAnon conspiracy theory candidate uh, and apparently unabashed. Uh, racist, anti-Semite, uh, anti Islamophobe Marjorie Taylor Greene appears to have handily defeated John Cowan by at least uh, 15 points or so in the state's Republican runoff in a very Republican district. So she is likely to go to D.C., but uh, uh, there was not much pushback against her at all from the Republicans. Is there any chance that the Republicans will become so embarrassed they pull their support from Green and somehow the Democrat can win in this district in November? No. None. That's a quick answer. A little, a little bit more elaborate answer. Did you not see Trump's tweet this morning? Yeah. Well, yeah. He congratulated her. Yeah, he's delighted. He's pulling anything. I mean, he, he already said she's a, she's a superstar in the making. 
Yeah, it's it's so it's it's kind of hard to buy their concerns about the anti-Semitism uh, from Elon Omar. But a fine t- anti-Semitism but- to them, anti-Semitism means you want equality for Palestinians. That suddenly is anti-Semitism. That isn't to me. That's not anti-Semitism. So uh, here's the real tough question, Howie Klein. Uh, who's more dangerous to the nation and to the Republican Party? Green in Georgia, who's getting a lot of attention for her views, uh, or the 25-year-old apparent Nazi sympathizer, Madison Cawthorn, who you profiled today at DownWithTyranny.com, and uh, who he won his uh, North Carolina primary a few weeks ago in another very Republican district in that state. He now appears to be about to fill the uh, North Carolina congressional seat vacated by Trump's latest chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And I don't hear anybody complaining about it. Uh, it's certainly not on the right. Uh, well, no, they love him on the right. He's the, he, he, they're already seeing him as a future U.S. senator. Um, you know, it's, it's very, very likely that um, Tom Tillis is going to lose his seat to a Democrat, to Cal Cunningham, who's not a very strong uh, uh candidate, but, mm-hmm. but in this wave election, Cal Cunningham is probably going to take this seat. So the Republicans are already thinking six, six years forward, who are they going to run against Cal Cunningham? And they're looking at this guy. Now, this guy has, has an interesting story, although if you read my piece, you'll see that the story is, is, has holes in it a mile wide. He's a liar. He's made up a story. He's, he's a sharp guy, and he's made, he's made up a lot of nonsense. And with the, the, the more you look, you know, he insinuates that he was, he was getting into the Naval Academy. Well, he was rejected from the Naval Academy. He wasn't getting into the Naval Academy. He, he makes all sorts of uh, claims that aren't true. You know, paints himself as the CEO of a company that's only ever done one little thing. I mean, he's a 25- or 26-year-old kid, mm-hmm. so I don't blame him. Except lying about it. I'm, I'm not saying he's he he he. he yeah, well, and, and, and the problem is is that he he is a, he's extremely untruthful. He managed to do people. He looks really good. He's a very you know he's very uh, defined and built. Mm-hmm. He's a handsome kind of Aryan youth kind of looking guy. Yeah. That and uh, you know the people are attracted to him on that level. I mean, tr- he, he but, beat but the he's, but he's, who Trump had endorsed. He beat the guy that Mark Meadows endorsed and that Trump endorsed. That says something. Well, and, it's, it says something about the Republican Party. This yes. guy posted pictures of him at Hitler's, literally, Hitler's vacation spot, calling him the Fuhrer in these pictures. And saying it was on his bucket, long on his bucket list. This has been long on my bucket list. Really? Is, is there any chance that he can be beaten in November? Yes. Okay. It's not likely, but I mean, the other one, when you asked me about her, yeah. I said, no, there's no chance, because there is no chance. But in this case, there is a chance, because there is a strong Democratic uh, opponent. It's a very Republican. It's the most Republican district in uh, North Carolina. It was gerrymandered specifically to elect extreme right-wing Republicans. Mm-hmm. They, it, it's the whole of the western part of, uh, of the state, if you can picture it in a map, except they cut out the city of Asheville. Mm. So it's everything around Asheville, and, and not, but not Asheville itself. Asheville is, is extremely Democratic. And are, is APAC uh, funding the opponent to Madison Cawth- uh, Cawthorn? <laughs> the way they're- Great question. Uh, no. 
No. Okay. Well, uh, hey, APAC, you got, if you're really worried about uh, American Jews and Israel, you got an actual Nazi sympathizer running in North Carolina. Maybe you ought to start putting some money into uh, his opponent this November. All right, Howie, uh, got just a few minutes here. There are still some uh, state primaries to go in the uh, in the next few weeks before all of this is said and done. Next week, it's Alaska, Wyoming, and Florida, I believe. And I know as we chatted off air the other day, uh, maybe we'll get to talk about this uh, next week some more, but you are very interested in next Tuesday's Florida state primary. Uh, uh, why and w- what should we look for? There's a whole lot to talk about here uh, in Florida. So let's, well, let's do it quickly. Is all I can say. And just discuss that. So, uh, so first of all, there was a movement that was started by the the Florida Environmental Caucus. Mm-hmm. Right, and so, not the state party, but the Florida Environmental Caucus, to make sure that there was a Democrat running in every single seat because mm-hmm. the Florida. Party has its little, you know, strongholds here and there where there where there are big minority populations and and where they have their power base and they leave the rest of the state to the Republicans mm-hmm. and that's why a fifty fifty state like Florida in presidential elections is overwhelmingly controlled in terms of the state legislature and the congressional districts it's controlled by the Republicans and the the the, the Democratic Party I always say the Florida Democratic Party is lucky that there's an Ohio Democratic Party because otherwise the Florida Democratic Party would be the worst instead of the second worst in the country. They suck. So the Environmental <laughs> Caucus in, uh, recruited all these really great candidates, and the Democratic Party flipped out. They, they've been you know, calling them up and telling them not to run and putting every kind of roadblock you could think of to try to prevent them from running. Some of them, it turns out, have had deals with Republicans to you know, make sure there would be no candidate running against them. It's incredible, the stuff that's come out about it. Mm-hmm. There is a really, really good roster of uh, state legislative candidates for the Senate and for the state House. Uh, and, um, and, and on top of that, there, is, there are several excellent Democrats running for the U.S. Congress, so- including someone who I think would be great for you to have on uh, to talk with. He's really, really smart. And he's our answer to that Crawford Cor- or whatever his name is, that, 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 that guy from uh, Hitler's bunker. Madison Cawthorn, yes. It, this is our answer. It's a, it's a guy the same age, also a CEO, but a more accomplished CEO, by the way, named um, Adam, Adam Christensen. Totally uh, great guy. And uh, he's running in, in the district that Ted Yoho is retiring from. So it's the main city, the only city in that district is Gainesville, which is very, very democratic. It's got the University of Florida there. Uh, but every, all, this, all the area around it uh, is very, very red. And it was gerrymandered to elect Republicans, but it's an open seat now. Yoho embarrassed the district. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Really, really running an incredible campaign. For someone his age, uh, it shocks me. You know, I talk to candidates all day, every day, all year, and and they're not, they don't all run great campaigns the first time. They don't know how. This guy is running a magnificent campaign. Good to know. And I was hoping, uh, since he since you said he was the counterpart to the Nazi sympathizer Madison Cawthorn, that uh, maybe this uh, Adam guy could be a, a Nazi hunter. But we'll have to save that for another day. Howie Klein. There's also uh, some Massachusetts races I wanted to talk to you about, but we got uh, stuck on so much else. We have time for that because I think Massachusetts doesn't vote 
vote until September 1 with some very strange Democratic primaries happening there. We will hold it for another time. I would point folks to uh, not only to uh, downwithtyranny.com to read Howie every day, but also to click, if you're in Florida especially, click on that link to uh, Blue America Pack where you can see uh, some of the uh, Blue America Pack's choices, progressive choices for Florida and elsewhere in the weeks ahead. Howie Klein, uh, you can also find him on the Twitters at Down With Tyranny. Howie, thank you, sir. Thanks. Had a good time. Thank you, brother. Okay, quick break. And uh, as we have been on the air today, uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are making their first appearance together in yes. Delaware, I think. Yep. We may have some audio for that we'll see right after this i'm brad friedman this is your bradcast what the public hears on the public airwaves matters at the bradcast we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence but we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Janet Jackson. Nasty. Nasty, which is what, of course, Donald Trump called Kamala Harris just after uh, Joe Biden named her named her as his vice presidential running mate because, well, specifically because she is a woman. And Donald <laughs> Trump calls any woman that he has any reason to dislike nasty. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were in Delaware today making their first appearance as running mates on the Democratic, on the presumptive Democratic presidential primary ticket. Yep. I think they're, they're going to win it. I think they're going to get their nomination. <laughs> you think so? Next week. By the way, I think the uh, uh, convention, whatever that means now, uh, begins next week. Oh, Is boy. it next Monday? Don't be too excited about that, Des. Uh, anyway, uh, so they were talking as we were talking, but here's a little bit from uh, Kamala Harris, her remarks today with Joe Biden at their premiere event. And let me tell you, somebody who has presented my fair share of arguments in court, the case against Donald Trump and Mike Pence is open and shut. Just look where they've gotten us. More than 16 million out of work, millions of kids who cannot go back to school, a crisis of poverty, of homelessness, afflicting black, brown, and indigenous people the most, a crisis of hunger, afflicting one in five mothers who have children that are hungry, and tragically, more than 165,000 lives that have been cut short. Many with loved ones who never got the chance to say goodbye. It didn't have to be this way. Trump is also the reason millions of Americans are now unemployed. He inherited the longest economic expansion in history from Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And then, like everything else he inherited, he ran it straight into the ground. 
Because of Trump's failures of leadership, our economy has taken one of the biggest hits out of all the major industrialized nations with an unemployment rate that has tripled as of today. This is what happens when we elect a guy who just isn't up for the job. Our country ends up in tatters, and so does our reputation around the world. But let's be clear, this election isn't just about defeating Donald Trump or Mike Pence. It's about building this country back better. And that's exactly what Joe and I will do. We'll create millions of jobs and fight climate change through a clean energy revolution, bring back critical supply chains so the future is made in America. Build on the Affordable Care Act so everyone has the peace of mind that comes with health insurance. And finally, offer caregivers the dignity, the respect, and the pay they deserve. We'll protect a woman's right to make her own decisions about her own body, root out systemic racism in our justice system, and pass a new Voting Rights Act, a John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that will ensure every voice is heard and every voice is counted. To do it, we'll need to work, organize, and vote like never before, because we need more than a victory on November 3rd. We need a mandate that proves that the past few years do not represent who we are or who we aspire to be. There's an idea. Yeah. I like that. It was a socially distanced, uh, you know, no audience, no crowd there. It's going to be weird watching the uh, convention next week under similar conditions, I suspect, with nobody there to cheer and go crazy. Yep. Uh, anyway, we got to get out. Speaking of going crazy, my thanks to our uh, our guest today, Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny, to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them all for free anytime at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Hey, you listen to us every day. You know you do. You know you love us because Desi is here. So stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep going. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I'm simply the Brad blog. That is it. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.